Self-Storage Mastery Podcast, Episode 3, The Five-Year Tenant. In this episode, I will reveal the one type of tenant that will rent with you for five years, six years, even seven years or longer without batting an eye. Discover how this one type of tenant, the one that can be found in large cities and small towns, will rent with you for years and years and years to come. Coming up next, so stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Self-Storage Mastery Podcast. My name is David Luce, and I'm on a mission, really, to reveal the very best free and nearly free marketing and sales secrets for the do-it-yourself storage marketer. Find show notes and links for everything discussed here at selfstoragemastery.com. And in fact, go there now and download your free book, Hidden Craigslist Secrets for Self-Storage, Finally Revealed. You can follow me on Twitter at SelfStoreMastery. There's no E after the word store there, by the way. SelfStoreMastery. Or send an email to david at selfstoragemastery.com. Hello and welcome back to Self-Storage Mastery Podcast. This is episode three and I'm excited about it. I'm David Luce and I'm the host of the show and the creator of Self-Storage Mastery Podcast and blog. Now in the last two episodes, I spent a lot of time trying to help you become a Craigslist master. So hopefully you have listened to those two shows. If you have not, then I say please do so. I'm really confident that you'll find them helpful and uh, maybe even a little surprising. So listen to those shows. In today's episode, you will discover that one type of tenant that will rent with you for five years, six years, even seven years or longer without batting an eye. But first, before I divulge this one type of amazing tenant, you may have guessed that in general, I am talking about commercial tenants or business tenants, right? Of course, you should know very well by now that the commercial customer, that business tenant, is really our very best secret to long-term income in the self-storage industry, right? I mean, there's nothing new there. But in this podcast, I'm going to be focusing on one very specific type of commercial tenant that will nearly guarantee long-term tenancy for years and years, four years, five years, six years, or more, okay? But I'd like to start with just a brief discussion on the general benefits of commercial tenants. So as a general point, I'll ask the question, why are commercial tenants some of our best tenants? Well, the answer, of course, is many reasons. First off, business tenants are usually a bit more reliable for paying their bills, right? And often are more willing and able to set up long-term arrangements and even long-term prepay arrangements. Uh, Second, commercial tenants usually remain value tenants for years at a time, right? Generally, as long as their business is a thriving business, they continue to need your services. Now, of course, that's very different from many residential tenants who are storing their things for the short term, either for the summer or while they're waiting for their home to be built or remodeled. But business tenants generally last longer. And finally, commercial tenants more often than not are some of your most pleasant customers you have. 
After all, they're business people. They understand business. They may be a bit more understanding of a rate increase or of a required policy change, whatever the case. So commercial tenants are amazing. Commercial tenants really should be a large percentage of your tenancy. You should be looking for them and soliciting their business. Now, I do understand that the commercial tenant may also have some additional requirements. Uh, They may need you to invoice them on a monthly basis where you may not invoice your other tenants. They may request or even require uh, special services, fax service, or the accepting of deliveries from FedEx or from UPS. But the fact is these additional services are really well worth the benefits of the commercial tenant. And frankly, some of these added services could even include small upcharges if you properly sold the added value of the services. And the business tenant is more likely to accept the upcharges. So in today's podcast, I'm going to introduce you to one very specific type of commercial tenant a very lucrative type of commercial tenant that you really should consider reaching out to. Why? Three reasons, really. First, this one type of commercial tenant can be found in the largest of cities and the smallest of towns. They are everywhere. You will have no trouble finding them. Well, the second reason is because this one type of tenant will store for years and years to come. But get this. It's because they are legally required to. How about that? They are legally required to. And third, because these tenants are not fly-by-night businesses in your area. In fact, quite the opposite. They really tend to be very stable businesses, pillars, actually, of your community. So how do you find these magic five-year tenants that are right in your proverbial backyard? Let's take a look right now. So by now, I do hope that you've guessed what type of commercial tenant I am talking about. My clues are pretty clear, pretty much giving it away. So on this podcast, I'd like to introduce you to Regina. Now, Regina is the office manager at a pulmonary medical clinic in a medium-sized city. Yep, you guessed it. This one magic type of tenant are the hundreds of thousands of medical and dental clinics across the country in large cities and in small towns. Let's listen to an interview I had with Regina, who is the office manager of a medium-sized clinic that provides a total service for all the conditions related to pulmonary, which is respiratory, medicine, and sleep disorders. Now, in this interview, we're going to discover how easy it really is to solve the ongoing problems experienced by medical and dental practices around the country. And in this interview, we're going to see exactly how self-storage has solved several of the large problems for her clinic. And most importantly, to see how self-storage has allowed her clinic to free up so much valuable space that they were able to increase the size of their practice, creating more income-generating activities rather than having it be wasted storage space. Let's eavesdrop in on the interview right now. Medicine. How may I help you? Hi, Regina, please. Sure, may I ask this call in? Yes, David Luce. David Luce? Yes. Okay, one moment, please. Thanks. Thank you. 
www.thebookshop.com and www. This is Regina. How can I help you? Hey, Regina. My name is David Luce calling. Hi. How are you? Good. I appreciate you taking my call. Not a problem. Hey, Regina, before I start, I'd like to see, would you allow this call to be recorded? Sure, but can you hold on one second? I have another call coming. Absolutely. You betcha. I'll be right back. Okay, Thanks, Thank huh? you. Okay, David. Sorry about that. All right. Well, thank you very much. Though I, I wanted to get an idea of, of what types of uses you have for self-storage and, and, and you guys being in uh, being a medical clinic. So I'll just ask a couple of general questions to get an idea. First question would be, uh, what is your title and your role with your clinic? Um, office manager. Okay. I made a joke because he said, hey, David, get, get it straight. The office managers are the ones that make the decisions. The doctors work <laughs> for them. <laughs> I mean, I still have to get permission for some things, but <laughs> I know, but I have to research everything in order to get it. And <laughs> yeah, but it's true. You know, when you make a recommendation, it usually gets because you know they're they're busy doing their thing. I'm sure, and that's why you're hired to do the other stuff that uh, right all the fun stuff they don't want to have to do. Absolutely. Another question then would be, what are you using self storage for? Now, we're using ours for medical charts since we have to keep records for seven years. We don't have the space within our office. Okay. So we have tons and tons of charts. Define chart for me because I'm not a medical... I'm sorry, patient charts, patient information, um, anything anything that when we saw the patient has to go into a folder. And um, within that folder, if they come back to the office, then we have to retrieve that chart from storage. Okay. Okay. Oh, I see. So if you do get a returning patient, you go back to the storage unit. Do you have any of the patient charts actually in your office that you keep, uh, like the uh, more recent ones? Yes, we keep uh, currently 2010 and 2009. Everything else is at storage. Okay. And, the, and the, is it a law? Is it a federal law or a state law? No, for the state of Texas, it's seven. I'm not too sure about other states. But okay. yeah. It is a federal law that you do have to keep for a certain amount of time. So you keep it for seven years uh, by law. At the end of that, you're able to dispose of it. Right, to shred them. Shred them, and, and okay. Do you remember what you did before you were using self-storage? Um, we were basically using a doctor's office, and he said, I've had it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was his. It was one of the doctors' his own office where that stuff was stacking up? Yeah. He's like, these have got to move, so... Perfect, perfect. There was one other time I spoke with the dentist's office, and they indicated that they had a similar kind of thing. Where they were actually able to move all that stuff into self-storage and, and give another office for a new practicing dentist. So they are actually able to bring in an, a new a new dentist to their office mm-hmm. uh, by clearing out all the clutter. Right. Because um, we did have, because within our, we own our own building here, and... Um, we have you know, a doctor's office side and a sleep lab side. And within the sleep lab, at, when we originally built, we only built out for one side. And then they decided they were busy enough to use the other suite that we had. And within that other suite, it was just empty, and we did keep a lot of folders over there, too. So. And now you're able to just clear it all out and... and yeah, now uh, it's another sleep lab. Now it's another sleep lab. I mean, and in a true sense, for the business side of your practice, it's income-generating space now. Correct. Rather than just storage space, wasted space. Exactly. All right. Well, really the final question then is, as they say when you're flying on an airplane, they say, we know you have choices in your air travel. 
Um, thank you for flying on Northwest or whatever. Um, we know you have choices in self-storage. What do you think was the biggest reason you picked the specific location you did? It was um, the location and the price. I did go to about eight different self-storage and because you did have the climate control, which we need for our patient chart. And the price was just perfect, so okay. it worked out. Well, very good. Well, Regina, I, that, this is it. I mean, I promised it would be short and sweet, and, uh, and you've been very helpful. Thank you so much for your time. Not a problem. And great. thanks. Thank have a great much. weekend. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope I don't have to convince you that medical records and document storage really is easy money for the self-storage facility. Now, let me review a few points about this interview, a few points I want you to take away from the interview. First of all, Regina's title was office manager. That is a very common title for the type of contact you would need to make if you are contacting medical and dental clinics. It's not going to be the doctor, all right? It's usually not going to be any of the nurses. It's going to be an office manager or some form of administrative support inside the office. Now, if the practice is very small, you actually may be talking to the provider, him or herself, the doctor or the dentist. But generally speaking, you're going to ask for the office manager to start with. Now, for this particular customer, she was storing medical charts, and we got an idea of what a medical chart is. It's a folder full of paper. And as she said in the interview, they have tons and tons of charts. Every single patient has to have its own chart. Now, I'm going to put a little parentheses here and say, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to talk a lot about electronic document storage, electronic medical records, EMRs. Wait for the end of the podcast to hear a great deal about that. Okay, that was my little parentheses. Now, back to the, back to the podcast. So we talked about the fact that she is storing medical charts. The interesting thing that she said was they store about two years worth of them on property at their, at their facility and everything else goes into storage. And when a patient returns to them, if a patient returns to them after two or three or four or five years, they need to go to the storage facility, grab that patient's records, that patient's chart, and bring it back to their office. And when I asked her what she was using before, I really had to laugh. All of these charts, piles and piles and piles of charts, were stacked up in one of the doctor's offices. And you can imagine how that doctor was just fed up with that. One of the biggest takeaways I need you to understand from this interview is that when they were able to move all of their charts out of their building, they were able to free up enough space to create an entire new sleep lab, an entire second sleep lab. And in a medical practice, if you can introduce a new service, like a new sleep lab, if you can free up space to bring in a new physician or a new dentist, all of that is income generating activity for the practice. So you, you, you no longer become a cost of doing business for them. You actually help them increase the income their practice can bring in. Another thing Regina brought up after my question uh, was, was regarding the legal requirement for storing patient charts. It is a federal law that the charts need to be retained. 
It is a state law determining how long they need to be retained. Some states it's five years, some states it's seven years. On my website at selfstoragemastery.com, in the show notes for this show, there's a link to some information that will help identify for your state how many years the medical professional needs to retain those records. And the final question I said, you know, why this specific location? And you'll notice she said location was number one and price was number two. That's not uncommon. Location was number one because they do need to go back and forth to the storage unit on a regular basis so that they can grab previous charts. Price was number two in the interview, but when I talked to her after the fact, she did say that she was paying more money at the facility they chose than she could have if they drove another mile and a half down the street, but they were willing to pay more because this facility had everything they needed. It had climate control, it was clean, it had great managers, but it also was closer. So they were willing to spend a little extra money for the convenience of being closer. Now, as you think about document storage, as you think about medical record storage, one thing I want you to understand with perfect clarity, and that is you do not need to become a document storage expert, a medical records storage expert, none of that. You simply are the professional storage expert. You offer an empty room that is usually going to be in a climate-controlled building, and you offer all the services and amenities that your business provides. And you let the office manager of the clinic or the office manager of the doctor's office be the records management expert. Go to my website just to get a little bit of information if you feel more comfortable learning a touch more about the medical records management storage and what laws there are for your state. But again, you are the storage expert. You let them be the medical records storage expert. Now, as a storage expert, you may offer suggestions that would make it more convenient for them to store in your space. You might suggest erecting metal shelves in the storage unit to allow them to store the paper and have easy access to past records, even three- and four- and five-year-old records. But that really is just being the professional storage consultant that you are. Now, from a sales perspective, let's take a look at what we all encounter when we're selling anything, and that is some common objections. The one common sales objection that you're going to get from this group of prospects is that medical practices are moving towards the electronic medical record systems called EMRs, also known as the electronic health record systems, EHRs. The fact is that the electronic medical record systems have been gaining popularity for really the last 10 years. Now, in 2001, the statistics show that about 18% of office-based physicians had some form of EMR at all, some form of electronic medical record systems at all. And now, just over 10 years later, it's up to just over 50%. This is really great news for you because It has taken 10 years to go from 18% to 52%. It's taken 10 years for that growth. That's actually very slow growth. And those are the physicians that are more likely to change. Those are what we're going to call the early and medium adopters of new technology. 
So for the next 10 years, we will not see the same speed of conversion from paper to electronic records management. So yes, only about half of the doctors out there are really your target audience right now. But that means that half of the doctors out there are your target audience right now. That is awesome news. The remaining 48% of the nation's office-based physicians are your target audience. These are the ones that are really reluctant to make the switch. They're going to wait as long as possible to make the switch. They're hanging on for dear life to their tried-and-true paper-based charting systems, and they don't want to switch. All of that means that they need you to store their documents. These are your target prospects. Now, who should you contact? We mentioned that just over half of the physicians out there have some form of digital healthcare management system. But even when narrowing in on that other half of physicians, here's a couple of tips that came from uh, an important study. And there's a link to this study and where I got this data on my website in the show notes. It really is identifying the characteristics of those doctors' practices that have not converted from paper to digital health records. Those that have switched tend to be primary care physicians, larger practices, and younger physicians. That makes sense, right? The large practices, the younger physicians, and those that are practicing primary care. So you take the opposite of those factors, and those are the ones that you want to target. The non-primary care facilities, the smaller practices, and the practices with older physicians. That makes sense. But there's one more thing I want you to consider as you think about who you should target. There is a financial burden with purchasing and implementing and maintaining an EHR system. Therefore, doctors caring for poor and minority patients, I'm trying to be sensitive here, but the facts are the facts as stated in the survey, doctor's offices serving the poor and serving the minority patients are less likely to have electronic health record systems. Therefore, they're more likely to have paper systems. Therefore, they're more likely to need your services. All right. Here's a couple of tips on how you might find people to call. Now, first of all, of course, you want to include both the medical and dental practices because they both are subject to the same laws of, of retaining patient records. All right, the first thing I'd suggest you always do is go to your current customer base. Find out if you currently have any doctors or dentists that store with you because the fact is birds of a feather do flock together. If you have a current doctor or dentist, you call them up and you talk to them about referrals. You find out who they know, ask if they can give you some names of people and ask if you can use their name as a referral. One of the great things about asking dentists and doctors for referrals to other dentists and doctors is they really don't view themselves as competitors, like a men's clothing store might view another men's clothing store as a competitor. In the medical profession, it's really not like that. So you can ask a current customer that's a doctor or dentist for the names of other doctors and dentists, and they will be happy to give it to you, especially if they're able to save a few bucks on their rent for the referral. 
If that doesn't work in your situation or if you've exhausted that list, then of course you go to the internet or you go to the phone book or, or you simply drive around. And these doctor's offices are all over the place. And so once you've identified those offices you want to visit, you just visit. You ask for the office manager or the person who's responsible for making those kinds of decisions. Of course, you introduce yourself. And really one of your first questions is, have they adopted an electronic medical record system within their practice, or are they still using paper charts? When you talk to the office manager, that really will be one of your first questions you want to ask. Are you currently using an electronic medical record system or an electronic health record system? If their answer is yes, I'm going to ask that you not back off right away. I'm going to ask that you follow up with at least one more question, asking if they are on a fully functional system in which all of their records are digitized, or do they still use some paper in the office? Because chances are very good that even if a doctor's office has moved towards an electronic medical record system, that all their records are not fully digital and that they still are using some paper. And if they are, then they still need to store that paper. Are you ready for a challenge? Give yourself a challenge. Ask yourself, in the next month, how many medical and dental practices can I contact just to see, just to investigate, just to check them out and see if they're using paper or if they're using electronic health record systems. So once you found those practices that are still using paper charts, and there are hundreds of thousands of them out there nationwide, Ask them the follow-up questions. How are you storing? How are you saving your paper charts? What are you doing with them for seven years or five years, depending on your state laws? You simply ask if they think it would be helpful to store their seven years worth of patient charts off-site to make room in their offices for better uses. Just follow up and ask them the questions. Well, that's it. But let's be fair, this is a sales process. For every 10 to 15 offices that you contact, three or four of them will probably want to hear more. And maybe one, hopefully two of them will end up being renting tenants with you. Those are amazing statistics if you can close 10 to 20% of the people you contact. Now, you're not done because of those two people that become your tenants, you will work them for their referrals, right? And in six months, you'll have five or six or 10 of this type of tenant, and they will be there for years to come. Awesome. Very good. Well, that concludes episode three of the Self Storage Mastery Podcast. Join us again next week for another exciting show. Absolutely. Until then, this is your host, David Luce, wishing you great success. Success.